today in the book of Habakkuk, I call them. You might call them something like Habakkuk. So whatever you call them, you call them Habakkuk, Habi, Habakkuk, you know, whatever you like. His name's Habakkuk as far as I understand, but I could be wrong. All right, and we're going to look at this uh, particular book, and we're in a series of the Minor Prophets, and uh, this is a bit unusual, this book, because most of the minor, in fact, all the other minor prophets, they have big messages to bring to nations. They have big messages to bring to nations. But this guy, he's got like this personal dialogue with God. He doesn't have a word for nations. He has this dialogue with God. And we get a little insight into what that looks like in this story. Habakkuk talks to God. Dare I say, he actually complains to God. He's a wee bit teed off. And he talks to God about it. And God answers him. And so the story goes on. And there are great things we can learn from this. Let me just give you very, very quick background. Okay? I'm not going to labor too much on this. In Judah, their king Josiah had been killed in a battle by the Egyptians. About 609 years before Jesus. And he was succeeded by a wicked son called Jehoahaz. Three months later, he's, he's succeeded by an even more wicked son called Jehoiakim, who burned the words of the prophet Jeremiah and he executed the prophet Uriah. Habakkuk is appalled that God's people would behave like this. And what this letter this story reminds us of that he has this longing that God would deal with his people so that they'll quickly get humbled and get back to him and get revived and be the people they should be. And I've just been thinking this morning while we're worshipping, you know, we in this church have massive hearts that we want people who don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus. And absolutely. And we, we cry out to God that he would move in power and that he would change our nations and that people would turn back to him. But guess what? The biggest contributing factor to God moving in power is that his people are right with him. Don't give unbelievers grief. <laughs> unbelievers who don't follow Jesus, they just do their own thing anyway. But those of us that follow Jesus, we need to be really following Jesus. So when the world looks at us and says, you don't live the kind of life you say you do, guess what? They've got a point. I ain't going to give them grief. But what I will give grief is my own heart when it doesn't line up with what it should. So this guy is not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to people who profess to be the people of God. Wow, that's quite something. Got to just let that digest for a moment. If you think, does that only happen in the Old Testament? Oh, well, I read the scripture recently. Jesus says to a church in the book of Revelation, those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. That means turn back to me. Turn your hearts back to me again. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's talking to the people that 
say they know and love him. And because he's a loving father, he has to discipline. If we never get disciplined, I'm not talking about aggressive, bullying, cruel treatment. I'm talking about proper discipline. If we are not disciplined, we don't grow. We need it. And we need God sometimes to put his finger on our lives and say, that's not consistent with what I've called you to. And whether you're an elder or whether you lead a ministry in the church or whether you've rolled up today for the first time, we all need to let the Spirit of God do his work in us to change us and to transform us. Okay, are you hearing me, people? Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is a serious business. I like to have fun, but this is a serious business. God loves his church. Jesus died for his church. He loves his church. And he's not just going to let us carry on any old way we like because he loves us too much to do that. So let's get into it. Here we go. The first thing I want to say is this. When we look at the first chapter in this book, honesty should come up. Next slide, thanks. Honesty is the currency of friendship. Habakkuk says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen. I cry out to you, violence, but you do not save Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Is it wrong to tell God how we feel? No. There's got to be an honesty where we can say to our Father in heaven, here's where I'm at. This is the reality of how I feel. A guy called Tim Hughes, it's on there, said, questioning God doesn't mean we're disobeying him. Expressing anger and pain to God is a beautiful and intimate act. In our everyday lives, the people that we are most likely to share our deepest fears and hurts with are those we love and trust the most. So as we grow to get to know God our Father better, there should be this situation developing where I can tell him exactly how I feel. Even when I'm frustrated, when I feel hurt, when I feel disappointed, when I feel, actually, I think you've let me down. God never, ever indicates that he's unhappy with that. He loves it. Because he's looking for reality. Empty in this church, we don't want fake. I'm not interested in fake. Maybe you're a visitor today, maybe you think, for goodness sake, who are those weirdos? Who are they, man? Why do they behave like that? Well, I can tell you from the people I know, it ain't fake. We love him. We just love him. We ain't going to stand up or sit there in front of anybody and apologize for the one that we love the most in this world. But it's got to be real, not fake. God's not interested in us coming here and and doing the stuff and going through the motions and our hearts being a million miles away from him. And what we get in this first point with Habakkuk is he tells God how he really feels and he gets it off his chest and God welcomes it. I want to encourage you today, if you've got something to get off your chest, you can go to God and get it off your chest. And he welcomes that. He says, yeah, come on, come, come closer. Tell me how you feel. And it's an absolutely beautiful thing. So let me, I like to do this when I preach. Let's just do a little reflection. Are you grown? Am I grown? 
in your friendship with God. I've been so convicted by God recently over the past few months that you can know loads of stuff about God and yet not really know him very well. Last week at the prayer meeting, sometimes, I'm not scaring MD, freaking MD out here, it wasn't an audible voice, but last week at the prayer meeting, I felt this phrase come into my head when we're praying. You can know the word of God and yet not know the God of the word. I'll say that one more time because it wasn't my idea. (laughs) And it's good. You can know the word of God, as in the Bible, but not necessarily know the God of the word. Now listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. We need to be hungry for the word of God. We need to spend time in the Bible and get to know him better. But if it never leads to getting a developing relationship with him, I've got to question what my Bible reading's doing unless it's just filling me up with more facts. There's an intimacy in this. It's not knowing about a person. It's about knowing the person. And Habakkuk's got this. And that's why he can help us. He's got it. He's got this kind of relationship with God where he can tell him exactly how he feels. They're friends. Not just, although there's a reverence, he's God, but yet he's, he's Habakkuk's friend. Do you talk to God about the things that really concern you? Maybe you're not even a Christian yet, but do you talk to God? Do you tell him? But if you're a Christian, do you speak to him? Do you tell him the things that frustrate you? Or do you just try to suppress it? Yeah, shove it down and hope somehow it will never come up again. Are you able to express emotionally to him how you feel? I know I'm an oddball. I get it. Most Scottish blokes are stiff up a lip and you never show much emotion. That ain't me. That makes me a bit odd compared to them, right? I love Jesus. I love to express I love Jesus. That doesn't mean you have to be like me in the way I do it, but it does mean something in your heart should be bursting. Something in your heart should be bursting inside. I love him, I love him, I love him. Because it's an experience of a a relationship. It's not a factual exercise. There are loads of people in our churches in the nation. They know loads about God. They've got got degrees in theology. They know all this stuff. But they don't know him. Wow. You can study all that stuff and still not know him. Because it's intimate and it's personal. Let's kick on. The second thing is this. If you're taking notes... God answers the RSVP. I know Debs teaches French, my wife, but I think it's respondez s'il vous plaît. Is that correct? Something like that, vaguely. Okay. But God loves to answer the cry. Habakkuk wants a response. And God loves to give responses. When we come with open hearts and we tell him how we feel, God speaks to him. God says this, look at the nations and watch And be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Wow. Now, I know this has got context, but when I read that, my heart starts to boom, boom, boom. I start to think about all those flags around the room, and I start to say, come on, Lord, let it be. Let us look at all the nations and see what you will do in the days to come. There's something prophetic about that. God wants to do something amazing. We'll read later on. He wants the whole earth to be filled with his glory as the waters cover the sea. 
So whether you're from Zimbabwe or South Africa, or whether you're from Scotland or England or Northern Ireland or Wales or the Republic or the Congo, Nigeria, help me out anymore. Come on. Shout them out. That God's desire, God's desire is that we look at the nations and we see amazing things that God will do. And he'll do it through a church that's revived, a church that's on fire, a church that loves him above all others. All idolatry has to be killed off. I'm not talking people, I'm talking idols, things that become more important, take his place. They have to be crushed in my life and in your life. It's a challenge for all of us. God says this, I'm raising up the Babylonians. That to Habakkuk is terribly scary. They are a mean lot. I'm not going to draw any modern day comparisons. They're a mean lot. What are they like? Here we go, very briefly. Arrogant. They're insatiably greedy. They rob people. They murder people. They are sexually immoral people. They do their own thing. They are violent people. And Habakkuk thinks, for goodness sake, you're going to use a bunch of folk like that to bring change to the people of God. It's a scary thought. Now, God will orchestrate situations in such a way to give his people an opportunity to return to him in repentance and renewed faith. That does not mean our father is sadistic. He's not. But what God is capable of doing, and in each of our lives who follow him, there are times when he orchestrates situations. He closes some doors that we thought we should go through. He opens some doors that we thought, I never thought you'd open that one. He does things behind the scenes, and he brings us through some tough stuff sometimes. And often, it's because he wants to draw us back to himself. Now, the thing that struck me about this this book... If we walk in his way, if we're filled with him each day, there's no need for God to raise up any Babylonians. The reason why God raises up people around us, who could it be? Well, for example, it could be a really downright awkward boss. You might, I've heard some brothers and sisters say to me, my job's a bit tough, I need a new one. I say to them lovingly, maybe you're in this job because God's got some beautiful things he wants to do in your character. And this boss is actually helping you. Sometimes God does want to give you a new job. That's okay. But sometimes God calls you to stick at it because that person brings stuff out in you that you know you need to deal with and your heart needs to be maneuvered and changed. You hearing me, church, all right? So he's never sadistic, but he does work in ways to get us to the place where we're on our knees again and we say, there's nobody but you can help me. But that's because he loves me and he loves you. Not because he's a raging, not because he's a cruel father, it's because he's a good father and he wants the best for us and he has to do it because he wants us to come back to him. I will just add one little thing. You've still got to cooperate. God gave us free will. We have a choice. He can bring me to my knees and I could still say no. 
He can bring me to my knees and I'll say, absolutely, I'm yours. He's not going to take your free will away completely and robotically force you. But he can bring you to a place where you think, I'm not sure I've got any other option, really. I need to come back to him. Let's move on. God assures Habakkuk that he knows what the Babylonians get up to. God knows everything that's going on. He knows what they're like, and he knows what he's doing. Secondly here, God assures Habakkuk that he cares more about his glory in the world than the prophet does. We could stand here today, we could, well, we could sit and chat to each other, and we could say, I really wish that God's power and presence would just flood the earth in great love and grace and mercy. We can talk about it, and it's good, and we can pray for it, and that's good. But do you know what? God cares millions of times more than we do about his glory. He wants the whole earth to be filled with how great he is. Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking, what a big head. What a big head. God wants the whole earth filled with how glorious and powerful and great he is. What a big head. No. Because he knows that when the whole earth is filled with his glory, the people get blessed. What else would you want? What other option would you want than the glory and the presence and the power of God to be poured out on our streets and our city here in Colchester and be your, what else would you want? What other way do you want to live? It's for our good. It's not because he's on an ego trip and he thinks he's amazing. And it's because he knows what he's doing and he loves us and he cares for us. And he reassures Habakkuk that he hasn't forgotten to save his people. There's a beautiful verse. If you've got your Bible, it's coming up there. It's in chapter 2, verse 4. It simply says this, but the righteous will live by faith, perhaps. Or one translation says the righteous will live by his faith. In the middle of this book, God reminds him, I haven't forgot how to rescue people. Now, now wow, this is amazing. Many, many centuries ago, there was a very famous monk. Probably I should hesitate to mention him in the school I'm in because I teach here. But there was a very famous monk. Shall we call him Marty Baby? Would that help? Rather than giving him his full name, we'll call him Marty Baby. All right? And Marty Baby, the monk, he was deeply distressed about his condition before God. He was religious. He did all the stuff. He went through all the motions and he was reading the word of God, including texts like this one. This, this, this scripture, the righteous will live by his faith, is quoted at least three times in the New Testament. He was reading this in the book of Romans and he realized that all the hard work he was putting in to become a follower of Jesus was useless because he never understood, he never understood what grace is. And this, this moment, he had this moment where his eyes were opened and he realized that the righteous will live by faith. The way to come into right relationship with God and experience a new way of living is through faith, not through working hard. And shall we say delicately, he said, I knew I was born again. 
I knew I had received this grace. I knew I was now made righteous before him by faith. And some, shall we say, reasonably substantial movement came out of that. And many, many people across the world today are living in the good of his discovery. Hear me, I'm not endorsing everything he taught. But I am telling you, I agree with him on that one. The righteous will live by faith. What it means is there is nothing, when you come to the, perhaps you're a visitor and you're not sure about many of these things, it's quite new to you. What I'm saying is this, there is nothing you can do to impress God that he'll receive you because you're great. You talk to anybody in this room who knows Jesus, they'll tell you, none of us think we're great. None of us think in our own flesh we're amazing and we try hard, we're tryhards, that somehow God will accept us and receive us. It's utterly utterly because of his grace forgive me i'm going to look stupid but who cares here's the truth in ephesians chapter 2 the bible says alistair mcdonald was utterly dead he was dead whatever he couldn't do anything he couldn't try to do anything he couldn't do anything to impress god but one day the holy spirit of god went breathed on him and he wakened up he wakened up And the Holy Spirit said to him, Jesus is the one you need and he's died for you on a cross and he's alive now. You need to put your confidence and your faith in him. I could not do a single thing because I was dead as you can be dead. I'm never going to apologize for that. That's the heart of the gospel. So if you've come today and thought, you don't know me, I don't need to. God knows you. He knows all about you. All your motivations, all the stuff you've been involved in, all the mess up, all the screw-ups. He knows the law. And he says, come. It's not about what you can accomplish. It's about coming to me and receiving the gift of my son, eternal life. Receive it by faith and your life's transformed. Come on. Isn't it great to think in the Old Testament you can find the righteous will live by faith. And also, we could add, because the scripture says his faithfulness, it's worth adding this in. The reason why her salvation is so great is because Jesus was faithful to what his father told him to do. We come to one who's sinless. We come to one who is utterly sinless. I once talked to someone who's an RE teacher. They, they wanted to tell me that Jesus wasn't sinless. All right, okay, I'm not agreeing with you. Sorry, I love you dearly, but he was sinless. If Jesus was a sinner, my salvation is a shambles. He was and is the only sinless one. That's why the Christian faith is so special. We put our confidence in one who's other. Yes, he was one of us. He came to dwell among us, but he's other. He lived a kind of life in obedience to his father where no one really could catch him out. They tried, but he lived a life that honored his father. Reflect, are we listening attentively to what God is saying, even to us right now? There was a Microsoft survey. This is a little humorous. Attention span fell from 12 seconds in 2000 to eight seconds in 2013. For perspective, a goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. Now, (laughs) if you ask my wife, Debs, she'd probably tell you, Eight seconds has been very generous, all right? Maybe if you half it, it might be about four. 
depends if you're watching football at the time or doing something else. Uh, I shouldn't stereotype, but I'm one of these blokes that, you know, when I'm focused on one thing, that's pretty much the one thing, you know? Other people can do it better than me. That's fantastic if you can handle a few things at the one time. But uh, the survey concluded the true scarce commodity is increasingly human attention. It's actually taking the time to listen to God and be attentive to him. And that's a challenge for all of us. Third point, friendship with God is full of mystery. How do we handle it? Don't go into detail, but show me. Anybody in the room find mystery hard sometimes? Stuff happens, yeah? Okay, that's about two of us. Great, fantastic. Uh, <laughs> not quite, a few more. Things happen. I've got to be quick. Not take too long. There is mystery even in this family. One family's baby's born, has a heart problem, gets an operation and lives. Thank you, Lord. Other people have a baby and several days later the baby dies. And as pastors and as people in this family, we have to travel the road of mystery. And I've come to the conclusion that there are times in my life when I cannot understand or I cannot answer all your questions about why. That what I have come to the conclusion with is this. I have to posture my heart to say, I will choose to live with mystery. I'll keep trusting, I'll keep pressing in, I will keep praying for healing, I will do all this stuff, and I'll genuinely put everything into all I've got, but I've got to say, Lord, there is some stuff that happens I don't understand. Why does that one live and that one dies? Don't know. But there comes a point where I have to say, as Habakkuk says, I trust you, God. I don't get the plan. I don't understand it all. Why would you use those bonkers Babylonians why use them? They're even more evil than us. Why? What, this is a weird plan. Why would you do this? There's a mystery. Let me see this. How do we handle it? Okay. By enjoying the fact that God's hard to understand. That's a weird thing to say, isn't it? We go, oh my goodness, God's really difficult to understand. Well, Habakkuk's discovered that it's exciting. It's exciting to know that God's hard to understand. He sees it as a challenge. He thinks, that means I'm going to draw all the more close to him because I want to get to know him better. I will look to see what he will say to me. He's hungry. He wants to know, what's he like? Can I find out more about him? Embrace the adventure of getting to know God better. As you develop a posture, oh my goodness, I find this so hard, waiting and listening. I am an on-the-go type guy. I don't always like to sit still. Although the wee bit older I get, I have to sit still a wee bit longer. Right? But for some of us in the room, depending on our characters, it's very hard, isn't it? The thought of just sitting your bottom down and spending a time with God where you don't necessarily say very much and you just listen to him and you have a little conversation. It's just like he's in the room. How many of us, including me, I'm talking to myself, how many of us find time in our weeks just to do that? Well, I've got this to do. I've got that to do. I've got this to do. And some of it's legitimate. But sometimes it's just, I've got a game recorded. I want to watch the match I've recorded. 
We had family around yesterday. Oh, horror of horrors. I had to, I had to record the Rangers on, 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 the, on BT Sport. I had to record the match. I couldn't watch it. Big deal. My family's more important. You have to make sacrifices sometimes because some things matter more than others. The second thing about handling mystery is this. Next slide, thank you. Pray for us as leaders who need to grapple with these mysteries and somehow help those that we lead. That's not easy. When people come to us who've experienced absolute tragedy, like I've just described, and we have to pastorally love them and care for them. There's no quick, quick, easy answers all the time to say to people, but we want, to know, we want them to know we love them, we care for them, we'll walk the journey with them, we'll cry with them, we'll, we'll rejoice with them whenever they're rejoicing. And, and you guys, all of us together as a family, that's what we want to do. The Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on ta- tablets so that a herald may run with it. What he's saying is this. You've got to make it plain. The job of our leaders is to try to understand what God's saying and make it plain, not because you're simple, that's not what I'm saying, it's to make it plain so we're all clear and we all understand this is what God's calling us to. If I stand up here and talk a pile of gibberish and you walk out of here and go, what am I supposed to do with that? Then I've made a flop of the job. The people of God are supposed to go away thinking, that's what God's calling me to. That's what I'm supposed to give myself to. And the third thing is realizing that hearing God is one thing, but seeing his words fulfilled is quite another. Oh boy. Uh, can, I, can I just share the little story about your shoes? That sounds very weird. It's okay. I'll explain. Jean said to me last week that she is looking to the Lord to heal her. And she used to have a pair of red shoes and she gave them away many years ago. And she recently went out and bought a pair of red shoes because she's looking forward to the day when her feet can get in these shoes and she can walk again. Well, amen and amen. Please, Lord, do it for your glory. It's been a wee, watch the space. It's been a wee while coming. These guys, it was about 19 years before Jerusalem was finally destroyed. Sometimes the answer, sometimes the answer to our prayers, sometimes the answer to our prayers might take 19 years or more. Anybody in this room, let's just raise your hand, don't be shy. Anybody in this room been praying for someone for a long time? 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You've been praying for them because you love them. Your heart breaks for them. Habakkuk understands how you feel. 19 years later before it finally seemed to come to pass after a few other events. The revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay Let me encourage you in the next slide. A little reflection quickly. Are there any circumstances in your life right now where you find it difficult to live with mystery? We probably all have them, if we're being honest honest with one another. Find a good Christian friend who can stand with you and support you. 
someone who can say, come on, we'll pray into this. We'll talk to the Lord about it. I'll help you, you help me. And we stand together in helping each other through the difficult time of mystery. Okay, I'm going to just wind up here quickly on the last point. The Father seeks worshippers. Very quickly. The beautiful thing about chapter 3 is the guy seems to write a song. And I think we know that because at the end of chapter 3, it says, for the director of music. That sounds terribly posh for an Old Testament phrase. It sounds very modern. The director of music. On my stringed instruments. Okay? This guy's got a prayer. It's like a song of worship. And here it is. He declares his trust in God despite a lack of full understanding. He says, I don't get it. I don't understand it all. I don't know what you're up to. But, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in all of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. He sings this song and says, I'm going to trust in God. The old song, I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to trust you, God, despite the fact I don't get it all. Secondly, he reminds God of what God did in the past. Now, bless her. A few weeks ago, it was great to hear from Jean, who's had a longer life than some of us. But even in our Slightly shorter lives. That's not quite me. Okay, but some of us are a lot younger than me. What has the Lord been doing in your life over all those years since you came to know him? If you said to me nothing, then I'm worried. Okay, but what's the Lord been doing in you? How, how has he shown his love and his kindness to you? Habakkuk says, look back and see what the Lord has done. Not because you want to be, oh, the good old days were great. When we used to meet in the old building, it was brilliant, and it's better than this one. Aye, and the coffee was better. And we start off, we, we go way back in the past, and we have the sentimentality of, well, that was the good old days. Really? Not always convinced. They were good days, by the way. But God's got even better, even greater. Yeah? And he says the reason why he looks back is because it fuels something in him to look forward. Say, if God's been consistently good to me the whole way through my life until now, I can trust him for the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years until the rapture comes and I die first. Okay, I'd like the rapture to come first. That's more exciting. Never mind Ryanair and EasyJet. When Jesus comes again and we all get raised up, we're going. We're going places. We'll be flying. We're off. We don't need any assistance, cheap flights. We're off. I'd love, the, I'd love the Lord to come first before I go. That would be far more exciting. Can you, I shouldn't be trivial, but can you imagine it? Off we go. Hi, Jean, you all right? Yeah. Hi, Nigel. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. The Lord Jesus, hallelujah, is coming back for his people. He's looking forward to it. Are you? Are you looking forward to seeing him? I'm looking forward to seeing <laughs> the one who had his hands pierced for me. His feet pierced, his side pierced, had a crown of thorns put on for me. I'm looking forward to seeing him. Glorified. He's the risen one now. I'm looking forward to seeing him. And the first thing I want to do is get on my face and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because we love him because he first loved us. And the last thing, here it is. Habakkuk chooses joy over despair. Uh, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. This guy says, the place around me is a shambles. It's an absolute mess, man. There's no fruit on the vine. There's nothing growing. It's a whole shambolic mess. And then he says, but I will rejoice in the Lord. I have something to say just prophetically. God gave me a wee picture 
to bang this home. It's really important. Here it is, ready? It's time to turn the vinyl record over. That sounds weird. It's time to turn the vinyl record over. Now, if you're very young, you might not know what a vinyl is. It's like an LP, one of those circular things that goes round and it's got a needle, right? Here's what the Lord said to me. Some of us, some of us have been listening to side A for too long. And that's the side called despair. Every day we play it over. Off it goes. The side of despair. You have a choice today. I have a choice today. Go to that record player. Take a hold of that record. Flick it over to side B. Side B is the side of joy. That's the way God showed me in a picture. It's time to turn the vinyl over to the other side. Habakkuk, he chose to turn over the vinyl. He said, I am not going to continue in despair. I'm going to, despite the circumstances, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. Is there anybody in the room who can testify that when we rejoice in the Lord, the circumstances might still be there, but we have a totally different perspective on the circumstances because we turn around to focus on him rather than I am in despair. Look at me. Look at my life. How terrible it is. We get our eyes off ourselves. We get them on Jesus and we realize we've got hope. He's the one who gives us hope. Okay, I'm going to finish with a prayer. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to tell you something really exciting. Ready? This prayer I'm going to pray over you is an actual scripture. Okay? One verse of scripture. And I'm going to pray it over you. If you wish to receive the blessing that comes from the word of God, I want to encourage you to receive this. I don't want you to think this is just another scripture. I want you to receive the power and the impact of what it says. You ready? Here it is. You can trust me. If you put your hands out, it's nothing weird, okay? Here it is. I'm praying this over the whole church. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen.